Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Hello, uh, good morning. My name is Bob Strugnell, and for those of you in streaming land, uh, welcome uh, to C3 this morning. Um, Pastor Dave and Kim, if you're sitting by the pool streaming in, I'm dealing with bitterness and resentment, and I'll have to just go to God with that later. But uh, anyways, anyways, welcome this morning. Um, um, so in continuation with the theme of, you know, our Nothing Comes for Free series, you know, or, you know, uh, we're going to, you know, get into the word right away here. But I just want, I just want to make a comment on, you know, as, you, as some of you know, once in a while I'll be involved in um, C, C3 Kids Church. And that's just awesome, right? And, you know, memory, Bible, memory verses, something that is really key uh, to getting the word into our little hearts and little minds. And uh, uh, we, so we have kind of Bible me- memory verse contests, and, and they'll, they'll try to memorize something, and they'll come back the next week, and, and um, you know, then they'll say that, you know, this week they're doing Ephesians 6.13, I believe. And so they'll come, and they'll, and, and, and they'll, they'll line up, and they'll say, they'll say, say the memory verse, and they go, you know, put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist the evil one. And then they'll get some kind of a prize, you know, a sticker or a candy or some kind of a credit to the store. So I was thinking, well, why, why, why should the adults, you know, not have to be, you know, in part of that? So, you know, so I had this thought this morning. So I thought maybe we'll do our own little memory verse uh, game. So that, and we're going to do a memory verse this morning. And then you come back next week, and I'll be waiting in the foyer for you. And I'll have like a Starbucks card or a, or a card for your favorite brewery or a card for your favorite winery or a massage. And all you have to do is just... Re- re- recite the memory verse to me. Anybody into that here? Anybody into that action? Yeah, okay. Give me an amen. Okay, good. All right. Okay, so here we go. We're going to get into to the introduction of the message. And here's the memory verse. Okay? So, the memory verse for you, just follow along, um, is going to be in the uh, book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 17. So I'm going to get into I'm just going to read it right now. Okay. So paying attention. Here we go. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, who was the mother of Tamar. Perez is the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amadad. Amadad was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Simon. Simon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Ammon. Ammon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jesenesium and his brothers, born at the time of the exile to Babylon. 
after Babylon exile, just Jerusalem was a father of Shatil. You guys follow me? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. Shatil was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud. Abiud was the father of Ecleum. Ecleum was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Ekim. Ekim was the father of Elud. Elud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Mathan. Mathan was the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All those listed above are 14 generations from Abraham to David, and 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. Okay, you guys gonna be ready for that next week? All right, struggling, what are you doing? Why are you opening up with such a long-winded Bible verse? Like, that's not kind of the opening that we would expect, okay? And that's true, because in the Western world, you know, authors or producers of movies want to catch the audience and keep them early. So there'll be a hook or it'll be some kind of gimmick to get the attention because they do not want to lose their audience. With Matthew in Eastern thought, opening with the genealogy was the hook was the attention get getter. And so we're going to get into that today. Um, so for the next hour and a half or so, I'm just kidding. But first of all, we're going to pray. Okay. Father in heaven, thank you so much for awesome worship this morning. Thank you that just feeling your spirit, just feeling your joy, feeling your just that sense of hope in the room. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your son. And Father, I ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, I got my notes. Help me to stay with the notes, but Holy Spirit, I'll just give you permission to color outside the lines this morning. Thy kingdom come, truly mean that. Your will be done this morning in this room. Thank you so much, Father. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, very good. So, the book of Matthew. Uh, most scholars, theologians will agree that uh, the, the book of Matthew was written by, you know, the disciple Matthew. And um, in a sense, um, Matthew had two conversions. Okay? His first was, I mean, I mean, we all know about his conversion to, you know, uh, the way, Christianity, accepting Jesus, okay? But initially, there was a conversion where he rejected his own faith. He rejected the Jewish narrative. He rejected the, the religious way. Something, something of, of disillusionment crept in, and he sold out. He sold out and he went to work for the Romans. And you know, I just can imagine, and, and he became a tax, play, tax uh, collector. You know, one of the most hated positions, one of the most hated people, you know, in that time of culture. I mean, I can just imagine, you know, you know that kind of conversation today. Or say, maybe I have, I have Tony come into my home and he sits down and 
he asked me a question. Hey, Bob, how are you doing? What do you do for a living? And I go, well, I'm a, I'm a warehouse manager. And, you know, I do this, this, that. What do you do, Tony? He says, well, I work for the Canadian you know, Revenue, Revenue Agency. And they go, get out of my house! You dirtbag! Gone! And that was kind of the, the attitude given towards Matthew. You got to kind of wonder about it. And so he'd be collecting taxes from his friends, you know, James, John, his family. Um, and so he was a really, uh, he was an outsider looking in. Has anybody ever had the thought here? And I was just wondering this, this is yesterday. I wonder if Jesus ever paid taxes to Matthew. Because, you know, I was, I was just thinking, this is not in the Bible, and so don't, you know, don't, nobody go burn me at, at the stake. Um, I'm not saying this is gospel, but I'm just kind of wondering about that. Because we have the count of Jesus walking by the you know, tax collector booth, and Jesus says, Matthew, follow me. Come follow me. And he's just kind of like this, and he falls. But there's part of me that wonders if there's a backstory to that. Where, you know, one day where he's at this booth and, you know, and he's taking all kinds of abuse. And, and in, a, in a sense, you know, the religious leaders, leaders and the, the Jews are t- telling him in, in one kind of sense, you know, have a nice day, F off. Yeah. <gasps> and then there's this kind man that comes and he's paying his taxes. And he's being courtesy and, he, he's, being, and he's being kind. And they kind of engage in conversation. And all of a sudden, Jesus, you know, once again, it's not in the Bible, it's just my conjectures, my thoughts. And he's engaging in a conversation, and he's reading his mail. And he's addressing the disillusionment of what his view of God is that caused him to sell out to the narrative. I mean... We don't know a whole lot about Matthew, but we can speculate about, it, speculate about his backstory. He was growing up in a religious home. We've been a God-centered home. Lots of rules, lots of reg- regulations, lots of religious observance. We know that probably by the time of thir- age 13, he probably would have had the first five books of the Pentateuch memorized. And talk about that for a memory verse. Yet something, something was eating away. There was an undercurrent that finally led to his, you know, falling away from that faith. And I kind of wonder, you know, as I look at my own life and my own father. So basically, he, he left, he went and worked to the Romans, and he did not make mommy and daddy proud. You kind of wonder what, you know, and I wonder how that translates. If I'm just trying to think about how that translates to today's culture. You know, what is the attitude? Because there's an epidemic right now, you know, where, 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 where you have an epidemic of kids, you know, growing up in Christian homes and walking away from what they were taught to believe. Walking away, there was some kind of disillusionment with what their picture that was presented of who they thought God was. And what could that have been? What's the equivalent? 
Was there racism? You know, what, what, was there a church? And there was one thing that was happening on Sundays. There was one face on Sunday. And then in the home, there was something else, like racism. Physical or emotional abuse. Maybe it was political. You know, you know I, I think from my own thing, my, I grew up in a very conservative, you know, uh, background. My dad was a staunch, you know, conservative party guy. And I know that if I would have said, you know, I think I'm going to go join the new Democratic Party, I think I would have been thrown out. Or it could be the, or it could be kind of like the equivalent of a, you know, a, a father who's an oil executive, and his son is 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 convicted about you know what's happening in the in the in the world today as far as environmental issues, and he goes and joins Greenpeace. You know what I'm saying? You see, you see what I'm trying to see? Something culturally was happening. Evangelical. Phariseeism. That's a term that I just kind of came up with. I don't know if it's out there. The undercurrent disdain for the modern lepers of today. Social issues. Son, in, son or daughter in a, in a home turned off by the hateful attitude towards somebody maybe in the pro-choice movement. There's one example. Just being honest here. Dissing other de denominations in a condescending way saying that we're better than that way. Religious piety, taking the fun and grace out of childhood. Spiritual weirdness. Now we do know we have an enemy who comes and attack, but just seeing the devil on every little thing. And here's one. Just, just you know, the, the attitude and hate and judgment towards the LGBT community. Just, I'm just, you know, I, I'm just, just being honest here this morning. So he, left the, so he left the Jewish narrative to go work for the Romans. Then one day, Matthew has an encounter with the Jewish rabbi Yeshua, Jesus. And his life is transformed. It is here that he has conversion number two. His new life, his newfound purpose begins. Adventure, miracles, lives touched, joy. And then, of course, sorrow, losing his savior. And then joy again. And a passion that is embedded and that he would eventually lose his life for. Here's where we get to the significance of Matthew and the genealogy, okay? So Matthew had an agenda. I mean, we had the four Gospels. And, you know, we, we talk sometimes about, you know, harmonization of God. But just take Matthew by itself and his agenda. His agenda was to the Jews of that day. That's who the book was written to. And as previously stated, Matthew, you know, he, he had this Jewish audience. And he opens a Jewish genealogy, talks about genealogy, that's culturally uh, in credit to the Jewish people. Genealogy to the Jewish people was very important. It was kind of your pedigree. It was your, it was your legacy to show your, 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 your background. In one sense, it would be like, your, like a resume. Now, I, I, I'm a man, you know, I've been a manager for a long time, and you know, I used to be involved in a lot of hiring. And I've viewed hundreds of resumes you know, over the years. 
You know, and, I've, and, and usually you know, when you have a resume in this room, what do you do? You're trying to put your best foot forward. You're trying to make everything look good and you'll know, not have gaps. And, and I've, never seen, I've never seen a resume where, you know, worked here, worked here, got fired for making out with a girl in the back store, storage room. Don't see that. Worked here, worked here, got fired for showing up drunk to work. You don't see that on the resume. Yeah? Well, maybe, okay, all right. Okay. Oh, the joy of the Lord, okay. So Matthew creates a genealogy that from a scholarly perspective is sloppy and ugly and filled with aberrations. I'm going to get to that. I'm just going to get into the text here. And um, that, he, that he knew that was going to catch offense with his audience. And it was like he deliberately and purposely went out his way to make sure, I'm going to use this term a lot, outsiders were in the genealogy. I'm going to get to it. Number one, A, in the Eastern culture, ancient Eastern culture, it was, no, it was a predominantly male patriarchal society. Okay? And um, most genealogies, when you go through the Old Testament, would not mention women unless it was absolutely imperative to the narrative. You know, sometimes I wonder, you know, you know I try to put myself in the shoes of a woman who's sitting beside, you know, the fire in the morning, got her golf, and she's meditating in the scriptures, and she's going through a genealogy, and it's going, so-and-so the father of, so-and-so the father of, so-and-so the father of. You know, or, you know or, if, or if you're feminist and you're going, so-and-so the son of, so-and-so the son of, so-and-so the son, so-and-so the son of, so-and-so the son of, so-and-so son of a, okay, I'll stop there. <laughs> and so he had three women embedded into his genealogy. Okay, we had, uh, we had Ruth, we had Tamar, and uh, Boaz, oh, and Rahab, four, sorry. Okay. Another problem with the genealogy, outsiders, was non-Jewish people were included in, gene in the genealogy. Rahab was a Canaanite, and Ruth was a Moabite. So I'm just going to kind of take my, you know, my, my little thing, and I'm going to cut paste into here, and I'm going to show you. So we have, here, 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 Judah was the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Why did he have to put that in? What a mess. Because he could have easily gone, Judah was the father of Perez, next. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. But no, he had to tag on this, this piece of dirty history and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, I'm not sure how many of you guys know, you know Old Testament, um, you know, your Old Testament, but Tamar was a kind of a dark story of deceit and incest, where Tamar basically, you know, dressed up like a prostitute to kind of fool her father-in-law, Judah, into having sex so they could have twins. Dark story. And then you move, and then you move along, and you have uh, Solomon was the father of Boaz, 
whose mother was Rahab. There was a tag. There's another tag. We all know Rahab in the Bible was a prostitute and a Canaanite woman. And then Boaz was the father of Obed, who was the mother of Ruth, a Moabite. And Obed was the father of Jesse. He could have had a nice, clean genealogy. But for some reason, he deliberately added those in to stir the pot. And I've heard some, you know, um, and they talk about he has, he has dark stories in there. And Matthew was trying to, I think, express the heart of God. That he wants our dark story to be part of God's story. The agenda of Matthew. Matthew, obviously, as, as stated, knew exactly what it was like to be on the outside, to feel like an outsider. And so, and so, we, and so as you go through the book, I mean, there's lots of, you know, uh, talking about Christ and his ministry. Um, we, we continually see the theme around, the myriad around outsider who aren't supposed to be on the inside. Roman shoulder, prostitute, yes, a tax collector, drunkard, addicted, demoniacs, Gentiles. People who aren't supposed to have faith, having faith, a Roman soldier. But Matthew, in, in the book of Matthew, he's got an announcement to make. And the announcement is this. There's a new kingdom. And there's a new king. You know, much of his audience was very, you know, de de dedicated to the vote and religious order. Very dedicated to the law, doing anything right, every I dotted, every T crossed. In order to what? To earn or to work their way into heaven on top of their heritage. And so the prevailing theme, once again, Jesus comes along. And to the outsiders, and I'm going to be a little bit tongue-in-cheek here. And to the outsiders, the Gentiles, the prostitutes, the, the Romans, the tax, the demonians, the mentally ill, the adulterers, the, the people that the church, if I can use that term loosely, don't, should, should not, don't think should be on the inside, are now on the inside. And Jesus has a message. To the outsiders... You're in. And to the outsiders, you think you're in, but you're in danger of not being in. And here you go. Continue the theme. Throughout, the, when, you, when you kind of look at the, the Gospels and the parables, you think you're, you know, you're outside, now you're in. If you're on the inside, you may, may not be in. Continuing theme. You know, and I... I think that there's kind of a word of caution. That's kind of one of the things I take away today. You know, in our, today in our North American, if I can say, evangelical religious communities, yes, we acknowledge all the right things, of course. We acknowledge, you know, the, the, you know, the basic doctrine, Jesus died for our sins, Jesus rose again. Uh, you know, we, we come, you know, there's, 
you know, uh, he is the way, the truth, and life, and nobody comes to the Father but him. There's those, those, those things that we acknowledge, but there's this kind of an undercurrent of imaginary solid lines of who we think should be, in the, in, who's on the inside and who's on the outside. And it's a word of caution. Remember the point about modern lepers today? His kingdom is here for them. And that's who we need to bring in. The price is paid, the mission, which is the title of the service, um, is your mission was paid for. Are you in or out? So Matthew, we don't, we're kind of in the book of Matthew. Now we're going to skip ahead to Matthew. Uh, this is, I got really excited kind of getting into this yesterday. Matthew 13, 44 and 46. Okay. Listen to this carefully, okay? The parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Okay. Stop. Full stop. Just want you to just kind of take the word treasure, just put it up there, just hold it there, just kind of keep it in your peripheral, peripheral vision for a bit. Just hold that thought there, treasure. That a man discovered hidden in the field, and in his excitement, full stop. On the other side, just kind of envision the word excitement in bold red, okay? He hid it. He, he, he discovered and he, he hit it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy a field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered the pearl of great value, he sold it and gave up everything he had to buy it. So the question is, What is the treasure that Jesus is talking about here? You know, when I was growing up in my young age of Christianity and kind of the circles that, you know, I was taught in, I used to think it was, uh, you know, that was talking about me having to, to sell everything and give everything I had to somehow get to the kingdom of heaven. And it, you know, and it felt so difficult, so works-oriented, you know, to sell all I had. How many in here, let's just be honest, you know, we have a lot, you know, a lot of Christians here. How many in here have sold everything? How many have sold your house and given up everything, sold your car to, to, to obtain the kingdom of heaven? I would venture to say probably nobody. Okay? You being honest here? Okay? We're talking good. Just give me a hug. Good. 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 Hallelujah. Good. Awesome. Thank you for that input. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, it's not based on what you've done, what you've accomplished, how much you've given, how much you've served, how great a ser your sermon is. Amen. Although I thought this, this one's pretty good. <laughs> Nobody said amen. Okay. How good of a parent are you are? How about a good of a humanitarian you are? How well you sing, and for my grandson, how good you are at Minecraft. Yeah. Amen. 
Okay. You're the treasure that Jesus is talking about in this parable. Amen. Thank you. You are the, you're, you are the treasure that Jesus is talking about in this parable. I'm going to prove it to you. Okay. Now, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Okay. Matthew, Jesus were very deliberate in their use of phraseology here. They knew when he put that saying in there, he knew how that was going to be received. You're the treasure, and I'm going to prove it to you through the Old Testament. Listen to this. Exodus 19.5. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, that's talking about Abraham and faith, then you shall be a what? A special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Here's a backup. Psalm 135, verse 4. For the Lord has chosen Jacob, which in, in biblical terms is another term for Israel. For the Lord has chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. Okay, I just want to stop, full stop there for a minute. Now, in the scholarly world, and I'm not going to, this is not the debate I want to get into at the moment. Some will say, okay, he's talking about, you know, the nation of Israel. And that, you know, one day the nation of Israel is going to come back under the covering. And, and some will say, well, no, that's interchangeable with the church. And I, that's, not, that's not the point I'm trying to make here. The point I'm trying to make here is the people are the treasure he's after. The people are the treasure he's after. And we're going we, to know, uh, you know, that the church has included this by the next verse. And verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. Everybody got a pearl here? Pull up your pearl. Yeah, uh, got mine here, along with all my pocket change. All right. So I, I was looking really long and hard yesterday. You can take them down now. But, you, you know, uh, for pearls in Kelowna, and I was having a hard time, so I finally found these at Valley Village, and I was so excited. And I have an announcement today. I am now the proud owner of Valley Village. You'll see it coming to Castanet, because I bought all of Valley Village to get these pearls. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. So I'm pondering, and I know there are some theologians and Bible scholars in this, you know, well, we already know this answer, Bob. Um, but, I, but I was pondering, because I'm kind of behind, I'm just kind of catching up, so forgive me. Why a pearl? You know, if, if it was me writing the gospel, I would, would, he went and he went to find the field, and he went to find a 50-carat Swarovski diamond. Or he went to find a one-pound nugget of gold. Well, that's probably what I would have done, not a pearl. Okay, here's something about pearls. A pearl is what is formed by a living organism. And basically, what happens? You have an oyster, and you'll have an outside irritation, or I like to use the term sometimes it would be a grain of sand. It comes in, 
And what happens is the oyster secretes this, like a crystalline substance, and kind of isolates and, and covers that little irritation or that stone. And over a period of time, seven years as a matter of fact, forms a pearl. It takes a long time. Okay? You know, and, um, and I think it's kind of interesting, you know, that, you know, if it's like a little grain of sand that, that in, in, the, in Second Peter, we referred to as living stones. Okay? And here's something else interesting. Ladies, whatever you do when you go to the gym, I don't know if any ladies go to the gym here, don't wear your pearls. Because perspiration is what will ruin a pearl. And there's a lesson here. Our own sweat, our own striving, our own works are not going to get us there. And therefore, it's kind of interesting to use the analogy of a pearl. You know, and, and it's kind of cool because, you know, you... You know, like uh, we're the living stone, and you know we we we're on the outside of the oyster. We come in, and we're and we're incomplete, and we're a mess. But we're in, we're in, and after that, God God starts to form and starts to do all this stuff and forming around us, and you know perhaps forming attitudes and getting rid of addictions and helping to you know here's a big one you know get through bitterness and forgiveness. And he starts to form us over a period of time into something that's beautiful. So once again, the prevailing theme, if you're on the outside, you're in. And that is a, that's an invitation. It's not an order. It's an invitation. No matter what social or political, economical, you know, all these, all these, all these periphery topics, you know, gender-based stuff, that's not what Jesus is looking at. He's coming after you. And, and when you go back to the, the, the text here, it says he was excited. The kingdom of God is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden from a field. And in his excitement, it's the word chera in Greek. It's the same word that he used for, you know, when the, when, when, when the angel saw the star, there was joy. When, when Mary, uh, when, when they discovered that, that Jesus had risen from the dead and, and he was no longer in the, in the grave, it was the same word, joy. I bring you great tidings of joy. Same word, chera. And that's God's excitement. And, 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 I, and I feel boldly, you know, like in, in this word that, you know, for those who maybe be on the outside, God's been searching for you your whole life. He's been searching for you for your whole life. And when he found you in your state, he was excited. He had joy. I found. I'm excited. Yeah. Treasure. 
And what was and what and what was the field he gave up? What does he give up? He gave up his son. He sold it off. He sold out. He sold everything. He sold out. Sold everything. To get what? The treasure is who? Come on. Come on. Who's the treasure, everybody? There you go. So he sold out. Thank you, Jesus. You know, um, there's a little statement I found in the commentary. The, different, the difference in the worthiness between one person and the next is in whether he acknowledges that he or she, I should say, is purchased. And what, at what cost? The world will pay just a few dollars for trinkets, but do we want to be worth so little? Can we admit that we are worthy of eternal love and such a thing as possible? Everything we can never repay for the price, and that's another hurdle. Can we believe that there's no catch? And the thing is, there is no catch. It's about accepting God's son, accepting Jesus. Being on the outside, being invited to come in, come in. Maybe just, thank you. Thank you, Father God. I'm just going to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just, as we just... We, as we just get ready just to close our service here this morning, I just I thank you for, for you coming, Father God, in Jesus' name. I felt that was kind of a word for somebody or some, or a plurality or individual, I don't know. But the thought, if you feel like you're on the outside, the invitation is to come in this morning. The invitation is to come in. Matthew understood what it was to be an outsider. No matter what sphere or whatever, and, and, and if some way the church or in our evangelical way has caused events, caused offense, then I apologize. But if you're on the outside, Jesus is calling you to the inside this morning. So, Every, every eye closed, every head bowed. A couple things this morning. Understand we're in formation. There's, that's, this is the first thing. Understand we're in formation. We're like the pearl that is being developed. And we're not there yet. And we're imperfected. And we've fallen. But God is still, you're still in you're still developing, and you just need more strength to say, God, I, 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 I surrender to your forming around me. I'm surrendering to you, making me that pearl. And if you just need prayer this morning, just put up your hand for that regard. Okay. If you feel like you're an outsider, and you've been kind of, you know what, I don't, I don't really know about this being in the church stuff, and and this is not about being in church, for one thing. And this is not, you know, trying to join a denomination or come join C3. That's not what we're saying here this morning. That's not what, we're, that's not what the implication is. 
But if you feel like you're an outsider, you've been invited in. For those of you online, online, if you feel like you're an outsider, you've been invited in. So once again, with every head bowed, eye closed, if you feel like you need prayer, I'll pray for you right now. Then slip up your hand if you want to come on the inside. Okay. Let's give that a moment to, to germinate. Then, I, then if there is no one, then I distrust that uh, the message has challenged you. We were praying this morning. You know, Tammy said something about boldness. And then uh, I got a text as I, I uh, got ready to preach for my daughter. Pastor Kimberly says, Dad, be bold. And I, and I, and I you know, I pray the message was not offensive, but I just, I just challenge that God is excited about you. And he's searching for you, and he'll continue. It's not that, he's, that he hasn't found you, but he's the treasure. He came, and he got down in the dirt, and he got dirty. It's the thing about digging for treasure. You got to get dirty. You dig, dig, and dig. And his son came and got down and dug in the dirt. Somebody who is online, in Jesus' name, thank you for, for listening in this morning. And I was just going to leave it at that. Father, we just surrender our week to you. We surrender our, our lives to you. We surrender our souls. Surrender our families, our children. And Father God, I, I, I apologize, God, for anything that I've done in my household that has caused offense to my children, that has given them a wrong impression of who you are. rest with that. In Jesus' name, we, we, we apologize we, on behalf of that, Father God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.